Right, it is good to be at Liberty Baptist Church. I tell you what, you guys have got a man here that has impacted my life an awful lot. I was talking to Brother Gomer before the service. Your pastor was my youth pastor growing up. So he had to put up with me in my worst of years. <laughs> and um, I know that we definitely made it not only difficult on him, but we made it difficult on his wife. But uh, they had to earn their paycheck, right? Someone had to do it. <laughs> is this is this recording here? Yeah. Okay. Is it supposed to be? Okay, good. Let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number three. I'll give you a little uh, a little insight as to. Uh, You've all met my wife, Lori, and our daughter, Casey, back there, who's hopefully going to be quiet and good for the service. Um, and your pastor, Tommy, is actually my wife's brother, her only brother, the oldest of five. And uh, like I said, we we grew up with him as kind of our boss, and, and me and my buddies, we made it tough on him. Sometimes I feel bad for that. But I tell you what, I think he's happy. I think he's glad that he learned how to deal with tough times. So when he came to great, gracious people like you... He felt overwhelmingly blessed. And uh, I hope you appreciate your pastor and his family. I know you do and the hard work that they that they put in because we certainly miss them. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. I don't know how long I'll preach tonight, um, but I hope that you'll listen because um, this sermon, is it, it spoke to me a lot when I was preparing it. And I think it's something that I wish I could I could put on the news for our whole nation to hear. I really do. I think our nation needs it, and uh, I think our nation nation really needs God. And I think that that would uh, that would that would change a lot of things. Ecclesiastes chapter number three. We're going to read in verse number one, going down to verse number eight. The Bible says, "To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal." A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll be with the service tonight. I pray that you'll give a special blessing to those that came out. I pray that you'd move here, Lord, and that you'd be with uh, with Pastor Tommy and his family as they are away. Bless their service as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've got, I've got a title tonight that's kind of strange. The title of my sermon is, I Want to Fight. It's, I Want to Fight. And you see here in verse number 8 that the Bible says there is a time of war. And I'm not talking about a time of military conflict. I'm not talking about a time to, to send troops overseas. This is a statement that often takes on a negative meaning. When we think of fighting, we think of it as a bad thing, and sometimes it is. But understand tonight that there is a time and a place to put up a fight. Tonight we're going to look at something differently than I believe I've ever heard it presented. What we'll be talking about tonight truly changed the shape of America. It changed our country forever. And Satan has been laughing ever since. Tonight we will look at the consequence of not fighting when the time is right and the catastrophic results that can follow. Before I get into this, you might ask, wasn't Jesus a pacifist? I know you see the pictures today of, 
of this long-haired, sissy, European-looking Jesus, but, but Jesus was not a limp-wristed pacifist. In fact, Jesus, Jesus cleansed the temple by force once in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. And I don't want you to think for a second that Jesus was a, uh, a polite little sissy. In fact, he also told his, his disciples in Luke chapter 22 to sell their coats and to buy a sword. Now, why would you need a sword? I can only think of one reason. That's to fight, right? I challenge you to do a study in the Bible of the word resist. It does not mean to simply passively accept something but it means to push it away and fight back. All right. Everyone here tonight knows that America's founding fathers founded this country on the belief of one holy, perfect God. We know this because of true history. And until 1962, God and the Bible were a regular part of our public education system. Children were raised and taught around the Bible and God. Hope you can bear with me for the first part of the sermon. I'm going to be reading some some statistics and a few things here, and then I'll get into some preaching later on, but follow along if you can. In 1955, the New York Board of Regents approved an inclusive school prayer to be used in the public school system. The prayer was relatively short and said this, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on Thee, and we beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. That was used in the public school system in the United States of America from 1955 until 1962. While many credit advances in the school prayer issue to notable atheist Madeleine Murray O'Hare, who fought the recitation of the Lord's Prayer in Baltimore, a different case had reached the Supreme Court one year prior. A group of parents of children in the Long Island, New York public school system came together with the New York Civil Liberties Union to challenge the constitutionality of the Regents' prayer in court. While New York's courts backed the use of prayer in school, the state of New York backed the use of prayer in school. That's hard to believe today, isn't it? The, uh, it was taken before the Supreme Court in 1962 with an 8-to-1 vote to make public recitation of the Regent's Prayer in public schools unlawful, the U.S. Supreme Court had made its first ever decision on coercive prayer in public schools. It made its second in 1963. The Albington School District v. Shemp ruling made the corporate reading of the Bible and recitation of the Lord's Prayer unlawful. So in 1962... We saw prayer removed from the public school. In 1963, we saw the Bible removed in public schools. And that was a sad day in America. But listen to this. This is surprising. Did you know that not a single Christian organization at the time filed a brief in support of school prayer? So you had the world attacking the school prayer in the school system. But there was, I'm sure there was Christians that that got up in a pulpit and said, this is wrong what's happening. And I'm sure there was Christians that maybe maybe walked down to the city hall and said, this is wrong, but not one of them took any kind of legal action. Instead of fighting for their Christian rights, the Christians of the time pulled their children from the public schools and put them in their own Christian schools. I believe this was one of Satan's greatest victories in the 1900s. You might ask, how can you say that Christian schools shouldn't be around. This is the reason. Because if we had fought when they were taking the Bible and prayer and Christianity out of school, had we fought to keep it in, maybe America wouldn't be in the shape that it's in right now. Maybe America would be a little bit different. Instead, at the time we pulled our children out 
and we put them in Christian schools. Now listen, my child will attend a Christian school. I think Christian schools are great things. I think if you have the option for one, I think you should take advantage of that. If you don't, you don't. But I also believe that if we had fought at the time, there would be no need to have a Christian school today. I believe that the public school system would still be teaching maybe some values and some creation and some Bible and some prayer over their their too young sex education and their their um, evolution and things like this. Listen to this. The average member of Congress is 57 years old. That means the average congressman was born in 1957. And that means that they were five or six years old when Bible and prayer was removed from their education. That put them in about kindergarten or first grade. The reason America is in the shape it is right now is because it is being run by the first generation of people raised in a godless education. When you don't have God in your education, then you grow up, all your learning and all your structure is godless. So then you can only expect your actions to also be godless. Look at the other battles that have come about because of this. Same-sex marriage, things like this. I really don't believe that we would have to have a battle over whether a man can marry a man or not legally had these people been raised around the Scripture. Remove the fear of God from the human heart. Whitewash the reality that sooner or later all of us will answer to a supremely moral being and eliminate the concept that he demands adherence to his laws and it's but a short step to the deterioration of the cornerstone of society, which is the family. With the fear of God done away with, there's no longer any reason to treat the marriage vows as sacred, to bring up God-fearing children. From there, it's an even shorter step to all the other evil circumstances we find ourselves in today. Teen pregnancy, violent crime, drugs and alcohol abuse, so on and so forth. We've forgotten that our God is a God of wrath. The elimination of the fear of God symbolized by the Supreme Court's actions in the matter of school prayer led to a dramatic increase in crime, diseases, illiteracy, suicide, drug use. I'm going to read some statistics here. These are, these are really, to me, they're mind-boggling. The first one is, For 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls aged 15 through 19 had been no more than 15 girls per 1,000. After 1963, pregnancies increased 187% over the next 15 years. For younger girls, ages 10 to 14 years old, 10 to 14 years old, pregnancies since 1963 are up 553%. Before 1963, STDs among students were 400 per 100,000 students. Since 1963, they went up 226% over the next 12 years. So that takes you to 1975. Imagine since from 1975 until now how those numbers have gone up. The family. Before 1963, divorce rates had been declining for 15 years. After 1963, divorce rates increased 300% every year for the next 15 years. Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up 353%. Single-parent families are up 140%. Single-parent families with children are up 160%. A couple more here. Education. The educational standard of measure has been the SAT. Man, I don't miss taking those kind of tests. 
SAT scores had been steady for many years before 1963, and from 1963 they rapidly declined for 18 consecutive years, even though they used the same test since 1941. The nation, since 1963, violent crime has increased 544%. Illegal drugs have become an enormous and uncontrollable problem, and this this is truly heartbreaking. The nation has been deprived of an estimated 30 million citizens through legal abortions since just 1973. 30 million citizens. Taking away the Bible takes away God. Taking away God takes away authority, which takes away consequences, when with no consequences leads to animalistic behavior and anarchy. Imagine in 30 to 40 years, this is, you see all the changes from a generation that was raised without the Bible, imagine with today's public education, in 30 or 40 years, the children that are being raised today are running America. How are those numbers going to, those percentages going to go up? We shouldn't be in the mess we are in today. We need Christian schools, but we shouldn't. Had these court cases been resisted instead of accepted, we wouldn't be where we are. And I told you all that to explain to you that there is a time to fight. The fight was not fought right at that time. And uh, I want to talk quickly about three things tonight that I believe we need to always be fighting for. The first thing that we need to fight for. Can we all agree that there's a time to fight tonight? That there is a, there is a need for fighting? There, I'm not talking about a fist fight. I'm not talking about going and fighting somebody. I'm talking about fighting for things that we need to. The first thing is that we need to fight for lost souls. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 30 says, The fruit of, a, of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. It's time to be honest with ourselves. And I'm, I don't know your soul winning program here at this church. I've not talked to, to Brother Tommy about it. But as Christians in America today, I don't think we're doing the job that we should be soul winning. I know personally that I don't. I know personally that our church... My church has got a, a great members. Listen, I love my church to death, but we could be doing more to reach more souls. There can always be more to be done. Mark sixteen fifteen says, And he said unto them, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I know back home if we had a church service every Saturday at 10 o'clock to expose the dirty secret of some other church member, I can guarantee you that our church would be full of people there waiting to see it, right? Yet, for some reason, Saturday's visitation day at Lighthouse Baptist Church, we struggle to get that place full. We struggle to get that, just get a handful of people there. We've got the opportunity to share with them, them the, the gift of salvation that we got to receive. The gift of salvation given to us to knock on somebody's door, tell them the story of Christ, and change their life. But how often do we do it? I don't know about you, but I don't do it enough. Raise your hand tonight if you're saved. Raise your hand tonight if somebody told you how to be saved. All right. Raise your hand if you're glad they didn't take that day off of sharing the gospel. I'm sure glad they didn't take that day off. Amen. If they didn't, maybe we would have never heard. You know what? We have that opportunity to be that person to somebody else. You don't have to be called to preach to witness. You don't have to be an evangelist or a missionary or a pastor to witness and to share the gospel and to go soul winning. You can be that person to somebody else. The way we're going to have to do that is, first off, we're going to have to look at the sinner and not the sin. 
You have to look at the sinner and not the sin. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Listen to me here. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter what kind of home you were raised in. It doesn't matter how many people you have won to Christ. It doesn't matter how many hours you have spent in this church. And it doesn't matter if your dad's a pastor or if he's a drunkard when it comes to the truth about what we all deserve. You can be the most spiritual person on this earth, but you still deserve hell. I deserve hell. Every person on the face of this earth deserves hell. Paul deserved hell. Joseph deserved hell. Job deserved hell. Murderers deserve hell. Predators deserve hell. And you know what? So do Baptists. We all deserve hell. I deserve hell and you deserve hell. I believe many times as Christians we begin to look and think that we're really not that bad. Sometimes we get caught up in this, well, I'm wearing a suit to church and I've got my Bible under my arm and I'll be there Sunday morning and I'll be there Sunday night and I'll be there Wednesday night. I'm a pretty good person. But if you see past it all, look at what Christ really sees. Look at the fact that our sin put Him on the cross. And he's, it's, easy, <clears throat> it's easy for us to, <clears throat> excuse me, to look at somebody and say, man, that guy is, that guy is an alcoholic. He's, he's involved in so much sin. Why should I talk to him? You know, it's easy to look at these things. Oh, that guy, he's a homosexual. I hope they all die. They need to go to hell. Listen, we need to go to hell just as much as they do. We deserve it just the same. Just because we're not involved in what, in what we consider these big sins, they call them, they, these big things that are bad. I've never killed anybody. I hope you've never killed anybody. <laughs> but listen, murderers, murderers can go to heaven. Just like you and I can go to heaven. Amen. So often we look at sinners and we see the sin, but there is a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. I wonder, oftentimes, when I walk past all these people at Walmart, you guys go shop at Walmart? I hate going to Walmart, but you got to get groceries somewhere, right? <laughs> I, when I'm walking through Walmart, I think sometimes if I had spiritual x-ray glasses, I could see right through somebody's body into their soul. How many people that I'm walking past would their souls say hell bound? Thank you very much. Appreciate that. How many people, if I could look through through their their acts that they have on their actions, all these people that we come in contact with every day, the people I work with, if I had a, a way to see spiritually the X-ray vision of their soul, how many of them are dying and going to hell every day? So many people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. We are going to have to get soul conscious, is what my pastor calls it. He says you've got to be soul conscious. You've got to focus on the soul. I'm going to tell you a story. I have one sister who is two years younger than me. And, uh, and she is married. They were married three months after we were. And, <clears throat> and then my parents up and moved to Georgia after they shipped us off. My dad got sick of the cold weather, I think. But... My sister and her husband, Derek, they live in, in Lincoln, Illinois. He's a great young man. He's got, he's got a good church. He's a great guy. I don't think that anybody's good enough for my sister, but I guess he's as close as they come. And Sawyer, their son, is how much older than Casey, Lori? Five or six months? Something like that. Well, when he was, my wife was pregnant and, uh, and Sawyer was four months old, I received a phone call at work. Actually, I got a text. My mom said, call me, in all capital, with an exclamation point. And I said, oh boy, something's up. 
<coughs> so I called my mom, and she's, she's in tears. I mean, she's hysterical. And she begins to tell me that, that a man broke into my sister's house when my sister was home. And I find out that later on that there was a man that came and knocked on her door when, my, when her husband, my brother-in-law, was at work. And he said, hey, is your husband home? I need to talk to him. And, <clears throat> and she said, no, he's not home. He's at work, but he'll be back later. And the guy said, well, could I leave him a note? And she said, yeah, that's fine. And so she went to get a piece of paper. And when she came back to the door, he forced his way into the house. And she's, she's holding her four-month-old son. And this guy grabs, grabs my sister right by the neck like this. And starts to squeeze him and pushes her down onto her couch. And he's telling her to shut up and she's screaming as loud as she can. Well, they have a Great Dane St. Bernard mix, a dog that probably weighs, I'd say, 120 pounds. That came running into that room and scared that man off. <clears throat> well, later on, come to find out, that man was on a, on a registered sex offender list. He was a he was a predator type guy. He had a he was carrying a bag with him, and I'm not even going to talk about what he had in that bag with him. But I know that his plans for my sister were not good. I know that he he did not have good plans with my sister. And I I'll be honest with you tonight. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to make myself sound great. I'll be honest with you. When I heard this story, I cannot describe the amount of hate. That came into my heart. My sister, I'm not a big guy. My sister's probably half my size. She's this tall. She's this big. She's got a four-month-old baby. And some guy pushed her door open and grabbed her by the neck and tried to attack her. And I tell you what, at that moment, I would not be lying to tell you that if I could have got along with that man, I truly believe that I would have committed murder. I believe I would have killed him. And uh, and that's obviously that's not the right thing to do. But listen... I had a, a trip then down to Lincoln. My parents came up to be with my sister. And Lori and I went down to be with her. And uh, we all got together. And we were, she's, she's okay and she was okay. And we we're all thankful. And we we're going to get together and pray. And thank God for keeping his hand on them. And I remember my brother-in-law was going to pray first. Derek was going to pray first. And in his prayer, in his prayer, he said, Thank you, God, for keeping my wife and my, my son safe. And God, I pray that if it be, if there be a way, that you would save this man's soul. His wife and son had just been attacked. And you want to know what? On my mind, I was thinking, man, how could I get my hands on that guy? I'd love to. I'd love to get my hands on that guy. You know what my brother-in-law is praying for? He's praying for that man's soul. And I'll be honest with you, I was convicted right then and there. And you know what? God pointed to me and he said, you have got the sorriest attitude because just like that guy deserves hell, you, Nick, you deserve hell. There's nothing. If you, if you added all of Nick Hardy's best moments, the greatest things in my 23 years of life all together and put them into one day, you know where I deserve to be? Hell. I haven't earned one second in heaven. I've earned no more time in heaven than that man that broke into my sister's house and attacked her. Not one second more. Also, we're going to have to remember not only to look at the sinner and look at the sin, but we're going to have to remember that Christ paid our debt for us. Amen? We've got, uh, we've got a, a gun shop. You guys like guns? You gun guys? Okay, awesome. So am I. We've got a gun shop in my town, and this past winter, I went in there and I bought an AR-15. I bought myself a, a rifle, and I say I needed one. 
I use those quotation marks. I use the word needed very loosely, all right? It was a toy. But I went in there, and you guys all know in the wonderful state of Illinois, when you buy a rifle, you have to come back 24 hours later to pick the gun up, right? So I went in there, and I, I got my receipt, and on the receipt, I paid for it. They put paid in full on that receipt. And so I went home with just my receipt. You know why they wrote that on there? Because if I came in the next day, I said, I want to pick up my gun. And they said, okay, well, you owe us however much amount of money. I could show them that receipt, right? And I say, no, it says paid in full. Well, when I saw that, I began to think. Because there's going to come a day where I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand before God, right? And he's going to say, hey, here's a list of things that you've done. And trust me, there's going to be no shortage of things to convict me for. You're going to say, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. And you know what the sentence is? You deserve eternity in hell. And you know what? Jesus Christ is going to come up with a paper, with His blood. And then you know what's going to say? Paid in full. Amen. There's a debt that's there that I could not pay that has been paid for me. Amen? You know as well as I do that if you receive a letter in the mail tomorrow that says you are free of all debt, you don't have a house payment, you don't have a car payment, you have no credit card bills... They're all paid off. I think that you and I both will walk around with the biggest smile on our, fa- our faces of anybody. And you know what? I'd be wanting to tell people. If I got a letter in the mail, you got a letter that says, Brother Mendez, your debts are all paid for. You, don't have, you are completely debt-free. You never have any more debts. And all you have to do is tell someone else. Would you be willing to tell somebody else how to do that? Amen. Absolutely. But you know what? Spiritually, the same thing has happened to us. The same thing. We've got a debt. And we can't pay that debt. There's nothing we can do to get ourselves to heaven. But it's been paid for us. We owe a debt greater than money can amount to. And through accepting Christ, I know that I had that debt paid. And it thrills my soul every day to know that I owe hell, but I don't have to pay it. That's a thrilling thing. It's been paid for with Christ's blood. And you know what? It's something that is worth sharing with others. We've got to be willing to fight for souls. Just like we saw this, the consequences of the school system removing the Bible and prayer, if we're not willing to fight for souls, it, it breaks my heart to think how many people in my lifetime that I, I should have talked to about the gospel. How many people I should have talked to. Maybe, and I'm not sure where you guys work, I'm not sure what you ladies do throughout the day, I'm not sure where you kids go to school, but you are where you are for a reason. Do you believe that everybody you work with is saved? Do you believe everybody at your school is saved? Do you believe that everybody that you, you come in contact with is saved, your family? I don't. And you are in these people's lives for a specific reason. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. I'm at work. Maybe I'm at work so that one of my coworkers can accept Christ. But how is he going to accept Christ if I'm not willing to tell him? If I'm not willing to maybe embarrass myself a little bit? If I'm not willing to go out on that limb and share share the, the story of Christ with somebody and put my, put my head out there a little bit, take a little bit of risk. But I believe that, that somebody's soul is worth that risk. I hope that you believe the same thing. So number one, we need to fight for souls. Number two is we need to fight for our church family. Um, let me take a drink here. My throat, I don't know what, I haven't even eaten supper. i got something scratching my throat like crazy tonight. Probably one of them bees. <laughs> Call me on one of the. We need to focus, or we need to fight on our for our church family. 
Uh, Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Our church family is irreplaceable. I believe that it is. And I know we got a small group here tonight. I know that Brother Gomer said there's usually more on a Sunday morning. And, and you guys maybe have not come to this point. I hope you never do. But as the church grows and gets bigger and goes on longer, there's going to be these... These little bickering things that start with church members. You know, the guy that sits on the front row over here doesn't like the guy that sits on the front row over here. Or this guy's wife doesn't think that her tuna casserole is as good as hers. You know how these things work? And, and these little things start. And people tend to forget, at least in my experience watching people at our church, people tend to forget that we are a family. We are a church family. We're here for each other. For some reason, we're always so quick to tear each other down when really we should be lifting each other up. Everyone in this room tonight, all you guys are part of a family bond. You guys, your pastor, the others that are here, and everybody in this room is worth fighting for. I believe first that you should encourage each other with kind words. You know, sometimes it's nice to just hear some encouragement. There's a woman in our church, her name is Mrs. Holub. Her husband was such a good man. And he recently here, I'd say it's probably been about six months, he passed away. And uh, how old is Mrs. Hola, Lori, do you know? But this poor woman is now, she lives, she lives in Spring Valley, the same town we live in. All of her children, I think she's probably got five or six kids, they all live elsewhere. She's got no family, her husband passed away, and she, she's going through a rough time. Well, she come up to me a few months ago with a little... I, I did the song leading, and Brother Gomer, we talked about this at the beginning. I'm not a song leader. I, every now and then, my father-in-law, our pastor, will be out of town, and my brother-in-law, the assistant pastor, will preach, and then I get stuck doing the song leading. And I'm not a great fan of it. Well, she come up to me, and she said, Brother Nick, <coughs> you do such a good job leading the songs. And I said, Mrs. Holup, you do such a good job lying because I most definitely do not do a good job leading the songs. But she came up to me later on that night with a little note. And it said, Brother Holub, which is her husband, used to say this, the greatest ability is availability. And then she put, keep it up. And I tell you what, that was such an encouragement to me. This woman who's just lost the man that she's been married to for over 50 years, is trying to encourage me. And I, we, I really wish that I could be that type of church member. I wish that all our church members were that way. That everybody was, was so worried about encouraging everyone else that they forgot about their own problems. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Words cannot tell you how encouraging it is to get a little note or a kind word from somebody. So we can encourage each other with kind words. Secondly, we can encourage each other by lifting each other up in prayer. For some reason, and I don't know why it is, it seems like like most Baptists have forgotten about the true power of prayer. There is power in prayer. Matthew 21.22 says, And all things whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing, it doesn't say ye might receive, it says ye shall receive. Part of bearing one another's burdens is calling out church members' names to God in prayer on a daily basis. It's nice to know Listen, I know for a fact, and I don't even have to ask him this, I know for a fact that your pastor, Pastor Tommy, prays for each one of you guys. I know that. And isn't that an encouraging thing? 
Maybe you're having a tough day. Maybe work is not going the way you want it to. I don't know about you, but it seems like that happens to me every day. I'm at work and everything is going wrong. But then you think, you know what? I've got people praying for me. I've got people praying for me. That's such an encouragement. And if you guys can spend time praying for your pastor and praying for each other, I mean, that's going to, be, that's going to do nothing but build you up. My goal, and the way I look at it is, I want to make God so sick of hearing about other people's needs from me that he just determines that he's going to have to take care of it, so I've got to quit asking him. I want, to hear, I want God to hear me say, God, I'm praying for Brother Mendez. I'm praying for Brother Mendez so much that he just says, you know what, I've just got to take care of Brother Mendez because I'm sick of hearing from this kid. Amen. That's my goal. I don't know about you. So number one, we need to fight for lost souls. Number two, we need to fight for our church family. And number three, and lastly, we need to fight for our faith. This is something that the generation of 1962 failed to do at that time. They did not take the necessary steps to keep God in our education and look what has happened. It's time to stop that ball from rolling and fight back. You guys ever seen those, those strongman competitions? I've seen one of them where they got this, it's just a huge rock ball. I'm sure for a chiropractor this is a nightmare. <laughs> but they've got these massive guys who basically look like they're bowling balls on legs themselves. I mean, they're just straight muscle. And they come over and they pick up these huge rock balls and they have to put them up on like a little, like a little pedestal type thing. Well, I think of our country as one of them gigantic 600-pound whatever stone balls rolling down a hill. That's our country. That's the United States of America. And in order to stop that ball from rolling, what's going to have to happen? There's going to have to be some people come on the other side of that thing and, and stand there and fight to push it back up that hill, right? That's what it's going to take. Psalms 33.12 said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. After reading this verse, it's not hard to figure out why our nation is the way it is. America was founded as a Christian nation. Now, I believe America is a Christian nation. But we have removed God from the center of our education system. We've removed God as our Lord, and it's time for us to change that, and it's up to us. Listen, the world is not going to suddenly see the light by themselves. It's going to take Christians that are willing to put in the hard work and the effort and try to change this world one soul and one community at a time. I can't change Rock Falls. You know why? Because it's my job to try and change LaSalle. You know whose job it is to change Rock Falls? Liberty Baptist Church. For the sake of our next generation, we need to, we need to fight for our faith for the sake of our next generation. Um, we're seeing a generation that's basically godless. And uh, it can be changed. It's not too late. I don't want my children or yours to grow up in the United States of America where they can go buy marijuana out of a dispenser at the gas station. I don't want to see that. I don't want my daughter to grow up like that. But you know what? We're heading that way. Where I live in Spring Valley, they just passed it that, that they, can, they can put up a dispenser for what medical marijuana. And then you look at places like Colorado and, and places like that where it's just like, you know what? It's gotten so bad, well, let's just make it legal. Boy, what happens when, when the murder rate gets so high they say, hey, we can't control it anymore, let's just go ahead and make it legal. Imagine. Imagine the country that we'll have in 50 years if it continues at this steady rate of decline. So we need to fight for our faith, number one, for the sake of our country, and number two, for the sake of the next generation. Maybe we'll never see the benefits of fighting back. 
I'm not talking about getting up arms and going to Washington, D.C. and starting a, a revolutionary war here. But I'm talking, it's time for Christians, people like you guys and people like me, to stand up and do something for the cause of Christ. It's great that we're in church tonight. But what good is it going to help our community? I, and, and don't get me wrong, I believe that you should be in church every service. I believe you should be here. But what good is it going to do our community for us to be in church here tonight and come back to church Sunday morning and come back to church Sunday night and come back to church next Wednesday night if we never talk to them about Christ? If we never tell them, you know, they might look and say, Oh, oh Liberty Baptist Church, their parking lot's getting more full. Is, that, is, is them seeing that going to get them to heaven? Absolutely not. They've got to hear it. They've got to hear it. We've got to be willing to fight for lost souls. We've got to be willing to fight for our, our church family and encourage each other. And we also have got to be willing to fight for our faith. So with that, brother, is your white hole... Hold on, let me go here. I forgot I have a last page. I provide a lot of information tonight. I hope that you believe in the time to fight. But believing is not enough. It's time to do something about it. It's time to truly get burdened about fighting for souls. It's time to truly get burdened about the future of our country. It's time to truly get burdened about our church family. With that burden, it's time to take action. I hope tonight that you guys will come up and that you'll decide to make a difference with your life. You know, if every Christian in America led one other person to Christ, we'd have double the Christians. Simple math, right? pastor at my church says this all the time, that everybody in our church won one person to Christ, then next week we'd have twice as many people at church. Think about that. Easy way to grow a church, isn't it? Maybe you need to write a letter to the paper. Maybe you need to write a letter to your senator. Just let them know there's some Christians out there that still care about, care about God. Um, maybe you need to decide tonight that, that you're going to be a witness at work. You know, Think about this, and I'll, and I'll close with this. The men and the women that you work with or that you go to school with, you might be the only glimpse of Jesus Christ that they see all week. You might be the only type of Christianity that they see all week. And it is our responsibility. It was a commandment from God. Commandment in His Word to go ye therefore and preach. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor. That doesn't mean that you have to get up and and in front of your workplace and say, open up in your Bibles. But you know what that means? You have to share the Gospel with them. Because it's a scary thought, and I talked about it a little bit already. There's going to come a day where we are going to stand before God, the Holy Judge who makes no mistakes. And He's going to look at me. He's going to say, Nick, you worked with this man for four years, and you never told him that there's a heaven and there's a hell. You never told him that. And you know what? That's going to bring so much shame to me. But, maybe, maybe I tell somebody and they deny it. They say, I don't want anything to do with that Christianity. I've done my job, right? When I stand before God then, He'll say, Nick, I put you in that position to go to that man and to tell him about Christ and you did it. And he, even though he rejected Christ, listen, we, when you go door knocking, you get a lot of doors closed in your face. You get a lot of, I don't want any of that. But you know what? You have done your job then. And you can stand before God guiltless on that day when He says, hey, you were supposed to knock on the door at 101 Main Street on October 22nd and, uh, and you didn't go. I'd much rather hear you did go, whether they accept it or not, that my job has been done. All right, so with that, we'll stand.
of our piano player come, please?